Hello and welcome back to this episode of the Inspire Action Podcast. It's your host, Alara here, and today I have a really special guest that I'm really excited to talk to. He's someone that I met over LinkedIn and he was rocking it. So his name is John Thor, and John Thor is a musician, he's a writer, a director, and a philosopher at heart, but also a TEDx speaker, a business consultant, and a videographer. He has an incredibly colourful background from working in theatre to working in care homes to studying psychology to being a drama teacher, to then going into the corporate world and then starting up his own business as well. So today he's going to be telling us about his experience of doing, having all of those switches and what he found out about staying true to your true essence and bringing out the essence of other people around you as well to inspire action. So I'm really looking forward to this episode. Hope you enjoy it. Hey John, how are you today? Yeah, I'm good. Pretty tired, but um, you know, that's just something that comes with the territory of not being a morning person. But yeah. at the same time, I I find that as much as I hate getting up in the morning, I hate even more how I feel when I don't, if that makes sense. Like getting up nine or ten actually makes me feel like I've utilized the day, not waking up and going, oh, I have to catch up with everyone that's been awake since eight. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. When you start like work at 10 or 10.30, it's like, it's like the middle of the day already. I feel that as well. Though, do you work late until the night as well? Or do you just kind of cut off at one point? Uh, so it kind of depends on what I've got on and how I feel. And the how I feel bit is the most important to me because, um, I find it really easy to fall into the trap of just always working. And this was the case as well when I had sort of a classic nine to five. And I, I call it nine to five. It was more like a 7.30 till 6.30. Um, and then continuing work from home. It, uh, there was a lot of work to, to do there. But um, I, I have this tendency to overwork myself. So what I've found is if I feel in the mood to get stuff done, um, I'd rather... I'd rather work into the evening yeah. when I feel like that rather than having to force myself when I don't. Yeah. So that allows me to, I guess, remain flexible without saying I will only work this many hours or I will always work this many hours. Like if yeah. I wake up one day and just know that that day will not be productive, I would literally rather have a 16 hour day when I feel fine and then have a day that I just do nothing. Yeah. Make the most of when you feel inspired and when you don't feel inspired, don't feel guilty about it. Absolutely. And I, yeah. I look at it similarly to my creative stuff. Like I, I won't sit down and force myself to play guitar or write a story or anything like that when it's just not happening. It, yeah. just, it doesn't work. So they say that um, when you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work. So, so, that, so for the listeners, explain a little bit about, um, in your own words, like what, what is it that you do do? Because I know that you have a really um, colourful background and um, I think similar to me as well, it's hard to kind of put an exact label on what you do. So how would you explain uh, what you specialise in? So it, um, it often helps to break the ice when I first meet people by telling them what I label myself online and like what it says on my business card, which is corporate punk and creative nerd. Yeah. And the reason why I like opening with that is because in reality, it explains nothing, but it gets people intrigued. Um, and I've found that throughout my life, I've never liked the idea of pigeonholing myself as anything like 
you know, people say, oh, so you're a metal head. And I'm like, well, metal isn't the only music I like. Or people go, oh, you're like one of those salespeople. And I'm like, well, I don't just do sales. And it, it's kind of become something where I, I saw it as a problem for the longest time. I thought, I need a label. But in reality, why? Why do I need a label? And I actually spoke to someone I recently connected with um, last night. And he was saying how he's never wanted to be one thing. He wants to have a list of stuff that intrigues people that he's done. And mm. I was like, man, that's exactly the same as me. Because like my first ever job was when I was 14 doing gardening. And I absolutely hated it. And I often say that the only reason I am where I am in life right now is because I absolutely hated gardening. Um, <laughs> because one day in that gardening... A good favor, that made a, did a good favor for you then? Oh yeah, like I, it definitely showed me what I did not want, and sometimes that's just as important as knowing what you do want. Because at times I feel like there might be more things I want than don't. Yeah. Um, but one day during that gardening job, I, I was approached. Or well, the group was approached by the the boss saying, "Hey, there's this um, series of auditions happening in the local theater." um they they're really looking for like teenagers and like i said i was like 14 um he said you know they're looking for basically kids your age if you want to go for these auditions we'll give you like half a day off and for me half a day off was all i needed to hear um i was already like a fairly creative person i'd recently started playing guitar i had already started writing a little bit so i was like okay, I'll, I'll go for this. I uh, went to the audition and actually got a call like probably a day or two later saying, hey, do you want to start working with us? You'd have to basically quit the gardening thing immediately and come over, um, which was not a problem for me as might not be a very big surprise seeing as I've said about three times. <laughs> You're like, yep. Yeah. So I, I got involved in that and Funnily enough, I th I genuinely believe I learned a lot more about work ethic doing that than in the gardening because, to be honest, the boss in the gardening thing didn't really seem to care that much. Um, as long as a, a job got done, he didn't really care about the quality of it or how long it took. It was kind of like, oh, yeah, you, you okay, cool. And that was kind of it. Whereas in the theater, you were kind of, not maliciously, but you were constantly reminded that if you did not do your job, there were plenty of people that wanted your place there. Yeah. Um, and it was funny because I had friends that stuck with the gardening thing or were working something else during summers alongside schools. And they kind of always thought that what I was doing was just kind of playing, you know, that I was just kind of fooling around with some people and that, and, you know, we did have fun, but like I said, you know, you're working towards deadlines, you have specific dates that you have to meet in order to get a play up, and you have all these responsibilities that really molded who I was in terms of both creativity and work. Yeah. And I actually worked with that theater for three consecutive summers and um, actually started writing and directing for them as well. Yeah. Um, this led to more writing and theater type work uh, where I became a drama teacher for a while for high school. Um, I did a load of different things with freelancing. Yeah. But so what, what, what I would love to know is like the, the um, what was it that uh, kind of triggered that transition from, you know, a really creative uh, background? Like, I mean, right now for all, for all we know, you could be um, 
on the West End and that could be your professional career if you followed down that line. So what, 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 at what point did you, um, was there a trigger that kind of um, switched you to still being creative, but in the way that you are now? So I think it was, it was kind of three things that triggered it in succession. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of them, which was a delayed trigger in a way, which was um, I, when, when the sort of theater season slowed down a little bit, I um, got a part-time job selling insurance mm-hmm. alongside college. And um, while I didn't really care for insurance, I loved the sales aspect of it. I loved speaking to different people. I loved the idea that the more work I put in, the more money I got out of it. And being like 18, 19, and being able to work part-time but still earn full-time salary or, or the equivalent thereof, I was like, man, that's that's pretty great. But I didn't really go down that route at that point, but it was something that kind of, I guess, contextualized a lot more la- Yeah, later on. Um, but I guess the, the sort of trigger number two was that um, the, the modeling agency I was working with at the time for both some modeling and acting gigs, um, they changed their uh, focus completely. So they went from loads of small projects onto a handful of big projects each year, which meant if you landed a gig, you were well compensated. If you didn't, you didn't really have any work for the next four or five months through that agency. And as much as I'm an entrepreneurial person and love chasing up deals and everything, I I didn't really know where to look elsewhere. And also, yeah. um, not sure if you or anyone listening has worked with modeling agencies, but they tend to be quite specific with the deals they make with you, where like you can't really seek out too much external help, otherwise you're like in breach. Um, so I started working within caretaking. I studied psychology in college, so sort of working with people with autism. That was originally going to be like a summer job, but I ended up yeah. staying there for about five years. Wow. Um, absolutely loved it. It was incredibly rewarding, but this, that's kind of where trigger three happened, where I remember shortly after starting there, there was this woman who was handed like a bouquet of flowers to celebrate her 30 years of service to the company. And I thought she's been in the same building doing the same job for 30 years. And everyone who's been here that long is like, oh yeah, I just came in here for a summer job. And it was like this twilight zone thing where everyone had once been young and full of hope, but somehow they just gotten stuck and lost all love for the job. Yeah. Wow. And like, it would have been fine if they would have all still been passionate, but you could see they weren't. So I made a promise to myself that day that like the moment I felt my passion slipping, I'd look somewhere else. No, I ended up landing a job um, probably about a month after coming to the country, which was um, with a global sales and marketing consultancy company working purely with tech companies. So yeah. enterprise level clients, you know, BlackBerry, Adobe, those sorts of companies. I'm really interested in a lot of aspects of tech, both just as, I guess, a nerd and um, as someone who's really passionate about solving problems and making the world better, as cliche yeah. as that is. Um, and for a while that really fueled my my longing for that i guess that significance and that um those steps in the right direction i stepped into a leadership role got to really inspire people train them mentor them got to speak on stage about a variety of topics like that job was the perfect job for me at the time like i stayed with that company for like four years or something i think 
what really what really brought me in was the people you know because i'll admit coming from a creative background the idea of corporate work was pretty nightmarish mm. like the idea of you know showing up in a white shirt black tie suit like I, I i love wearing fancy clothing but like the the corporate basic look just didn't really appeal to me the idea of the sort of you know wolf of wall street cocaine binge <laughs> um it just it, it doesn't do it for me and um for a number of reasons and you know, I came in there for this interview to this, you know, big building on the top of a hill. It's this building that you see anytime you drive into the town. And I'm like, this, this might not be where I belong. But the guy who did the presentation about the company when I came in was just so incredibly passionate about what he did. And in a way that wasn't the typical sort of, it, it wasn't Ben Affleck in Boiler Room. It wasn't the wall street or wolf of wall street speech it genuinely felt like this dude was just incredibly passionate i didn't even know yeah. what he did but i was like i want to feel like that about what i do on a day-to-day -day basis mm. um and and it's it's kind of hard to put your finger on exactly what it is what it is they're doing uh, that that gives you that feeling like you know it's not the cliche kind of wolf of wall street um like speech that he's giving you but like you can just feel the passion flowing out of him and i think a lot of the um the people that, that will be listening to this will kind of be wondering like how do you do that rather than kind of come across as like another tech person just just saying lots of throwing lots of information and, and data at you did you as you work for them more did you kind of get to um work a bit closer with this guy or other people who felt and oh. had the same feel and and kind of figure yeah. out what what it was about them so 100 percent. first of all i ended up living with that guy for a while um <laughs> so um when i moved to miami we ended up sharing an apartment for a while wow um but no, this guy was great and um, he's actually left the company now. But I think, you know, we left around the same time. I think it was the right move for both of us. Mm -hmm. um, but what was really inspiring about him was he's, he's just genuinely passionate about inspiring people. And yeah. he does that by being 100% himself. You know, he doesn't act as if he's anything else than he is. Yeah. And I think for me... Um, realizing that you could work in that sort of space, you know, technology, corporations, that sort of thing, while still retaining your personality, basically mm. retaining who you are. Um, that was what kept me there because just as a couple of like random bits of examples, like, like I said, I spoke a lot on stage there in front of people, um, both delivering sort of company wide and team specific uh, messages. Yeah. And, I was always, I could always do that as myself. Like I'd make weird references. I'd make stupid jokes. I'd get audience participation. Um, I was never told to be more corporate. Like I could show up in my floral shirts. I could show up dressed as me and no one would be like, actually we wear white shirts and black ties around here. Um, and it kind of gave me, gave me hope for working for these sorts of organizations. But I think, you know, the, um, the leadership within the company then changed um, near the end of my, me being there. And I started noticing a lot of that changing in terms of, um, you know, focus on the culture. And I started seeing a lot of great people leaving and a lot of them weren't leaving on the best of terms. And mm. I'm not trying to slander this company at all. Like, I think they genuinely offered an incredible platform for people to succeed. 
but I also think that somewhere along the way, they lost a bit of that element in terms of knowing where loyalty and inspiration came from because yeah. people aren't loyal to corporations. They're loyal to the people within them. And if you lose the people who carry that loyalty, you lose that loyalty at the same time. Yeah. And I think for me, um, being able to carry that authenticity uh, bred the, well, I guess, awakened the entrepreneurial spirit that was already inside of me. And I wanted to get back to that, I guess, feeling that I had when I was doing modeling, acting, writing. Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. So, and, so just before um, you kind of, you, you kind of go yeah. into like what, what, what path that led you down to, what, what did you notice the company was doing that was kind of pushing away all these people that were actually really passionate about what they did? Like what, what was the, um, what is a few things to look out for? So I think one of the things is um, they were always very outcome driven and that's not a bad thing, by the way, I'm saying that it's a great thing. Um, you know, there was always a clear outcome to what they were doing. Um, and they were very outspoken about being process driven, mm -hmm. but the problem was that those processes weren't always the greatest. Like, um, you know, they put a lot of emphasis on, oh, we need to constantly improve our processes. We need to constantly stay up to date. We're working in tech. It's high move. It's high pace. It's, you know, it's fast moving. Um, but at the same time, there were certain elements that they desperately needed to update that they didn't, you know, they had some internal processes and internal software that had been developed in house that was that felt decades behind mm. when you're working with tech companies and they come into your office and the phone systems the computers and everything genuinely looked older than the, like i started watching the first season of the office while there and got went <laughs> this is like 14 years old and this is the, and like the the computers they have on that show look newer than More what modern, we're yeah. making our staff work on um, which actually I've found is just incredibly common in the UK, which makes me a little bit sad. <laughs> um, but I think with, um, because a lot of it was developed in-house and because they were sort of sticking to their guns, a fair amount of the times you'd sort of find that they hadn't, yeah, they hadn't updated those processes. They hadn't um, kept up to date with that. And when they realized, like, let's say with someone like me or the guy that um, really inspired me to come in there, um, they'd go, right, we want to replicate what you've done, but we want to do it in like an online form. Yeah. And they started trying to get everything in a process, in my opinion, the wrong way around. Mm. So, it sounds It sounds like they kind of, um, in that they're so focused on kind of having the perfect processes and the perfect kind of um like having having everything work like clockwork that they they, they took the humanity out of it yeah and i met someone um who was on a completely different side of the company so like we never really interacted until we both left and it was funny i asked him like out of curiosity what what caused you to leave and um he basically just said, like, did you ever have to deal with the processes? And I was like, yep. And he said, well, it was like partially that and partially the fact that one day he woke up and he said he could no longer look people in the eye and say he felt like he was making the world better in any way. Mm, yeah. And I think that was part of what I ran into. And I guess one of the big um, lear like learning um, or like key takeaways that people could take from um, what failed there was also um, 
those processes ended up meaning a lot of time spent by um, management in closed rooms discussing how to solve problems rather than just going out and solving them. Yeah. And what this meant was, you know, you'd have people who were direct line managers of the people who were on the front line, you know, the salespeople, the marketing people who saw their teams for a very limited amount every day because there was so much expected of them that had nothing to do with the team where I felt the outcome focus had kind of been lost. Yeah. Where, yeah, absolutely. you know, you, where you have, you know, a 40, 50, 60 hour work week, whatever that may have been, but somehow you're expected to deliver something that's activity based rather than outcome based where yeah. they say, Oh, you have to fit these numbers into your schedule rather than saying, make sure your team is doing everything right and doing a good job, but you know, go about it your way. We Cause if you've put someone in that position, I think there's, there needs to be a level of trust if yeah. you, and I'm, I'm a big believer in, um, in that sort of scenario of trust being given, but being able to be lost yeah, rather than it being earned. Because if you hire someone, sure, I get that there needs to be, you know, a, a period where you have them on sort of probation, if you will. Um, but I think if you've just promoted someone into management, it shouldn't be about whether they need to earn your trust or not. It should be about, are you giving them the support they need to be successful as the person that you believed in enough to give that responsibility? Yeah. So I'm curious then from this experience now, because now you are self-employed, you um, do a lot of stuff. <laughs> Did you say a corporate punk and a creative nerd? <laughs> yes. um, yeah. So, and I know from our conversations, you do a variety of stuff from video editing to script writing, to copywriting, to, um, to, present, uh, to presentation kind of designing. So in what you do now, um, how has what you learned um, kind of in with, with your experience in this tech company shaped um, the focus and the the priorities that you have when um, in, in, in what you do now do you do you find that there's kind of a correlation yeah so um, I'd say the intention is always to capture their story and their essence yeah so, you know someone asked me the other day you know said something like oh a lot of creative people can't really take criticism very well like they mm -hmm. get really hurt when someone criticizes their idea so how does that work when you're you know making a video for someone or writing for someone and for me there's a huge difference from you know that scenario versus me writing a song in my room like i used to be in this progressive metal band with like a violinist pianist and like it was all over the place very um very unorthodox song structures and like if someone would have come in and been like do you know what this needs a lot more catchy choruses and some dubstep drops. Like I would be like, no, it's like, it's not what we're about. Yeah. Um, so if someone gave me that sort of feedback, I wouldn't be hurt or like pushed back, but I would be like, no, nah, I'm not, I'm not taking it. Yeah. But if I'm working with a corporate client, um, I'm capturing their story, their essence. I'm not capturing mine. I'm, I'm, I see myself more like I'm, I'm a, um, I'm almost an enabler of them telling their story in a way that they can't on their own. Yeah. I become almost like a conduit or a filter to make sure that they get it out there in a, in a way that's eye catching. Cause a lot of people struggle to tell their story. Yeah. Um, and for me, I think, you know, the, the balance that you have to sort of maintain is yes, they're hiring you in as the expert. So you need to be able to push back if they say, no, actually I think it should be, 
whatever, you'd be like, actually, you know, in in blunt terms, that's pretty awful. <laughs> um, like, you know, like I said, I think sometimes you need to be able to walk that line of knowing where where to push back and when to go fair play this is your story yeah so and i think knowing that balance yeah and i think that balance lies within you know is it enough of my style or my is it does it fit my criteria of quality more so than does it speak about my character yeah absolutely well thank you so much for joining me today thank Um, you He's got some story, huh? So if you would like to contact John Thor, his contact details are in the description below this podcast or this video. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let me know what you think in the comments below. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in our next episode of the Inspire Action Podcast.